Good morning. Today's scripture passage is from the Good News according to John, chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it more fruit, bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So over the past few weeks, I've become obsessed with a podcast. For those who aren't familiar with what a podcast is, it's sort of an internet radio show. And the podcast I've been obsessed with is called New Time Religion, as opposed to Old Time. Give me that new time. Yeah, somebody's got me out there. Um, in this show, a professor and minister, both American Christians, apply the insights of a Canadian philosopher to the North American religious landscape. And, you know, as a result of all my listening, my kids think that I am the most boring person on earth. Uh, kidding aside, well, maybe not, maybe that's completely true. Uh, that Canadian philosopher is Montreal's own Charles Taylor. And Taylor is best known for his giant tome of a book called A Secular Age, A Secular Age, where he tries to give a description for how we in the West have gone from an enchanted, religiously immersed reality to a disenchanted, non-religious, secular one. I highly recommend it for nerds of all kinds. Uh, you kind of have to be a nerd to listen to the podcast or to read the book. Uh, so if you're a nerd, go out and go for it. Let your freak flag fly. Um, as part of living in a secular age, Taylor says that it means we also live in an age of authenticity, an age of authenticity, whereas previous generations, more or less, had their lives predefined for them. Our job, our place in society were predetermined by our class, our gender, our religion, etc., etc., etc. We are now encouraged to be our own people, 
to discover our passions, to determine our own careers, to find love or not, have children or not, to discover who we truly are rather than having someone choose this for us, being true to ourselves as opposed to whatever self others want us to be true to. On one hand, this can be incredibly freeing. Working class people can work their way up the social ladder instead of being relegated to the bottom. At least that's what they tell us. Um, <laughs> women can be doctors, lawyers, and yes, even ministers. <laughs> Children don't have to live up to sometimes stifling parental expectations. Gay and lesbian people can stop hiding who they are and who they love. And even religious communities like ours, people are drawn by a desire to be there, the choice to be there, rather than some fearful obligation. It's been freeing in so many ways. But it also has its shadow side. First, it can be exhausting to be constantly building a life from scratch, you know, carefully honing your Instagram account to show the world just how unique and wonderful and special you are. On the other hand, though, self-definition can only go so far. Perhaps we're defined by a meaningful job that we go after, but what happens when we're bad at it, right? Or what happens when it comes to an end, either through our own incompetence or through retirement? What then? Or a pandemic maybe makes it go away altogether. Or maybe we define ourselves by our politics only to discover that somehow we are anxious, angry, and worried all the time. Or maybe we don't actually have the means, the drive, or the opportunities to create the person that we've always wanted to be in the first place. And maybe that's the biggest challenge, that who we want to be is never who we actually become. It rarely bears promised fruit. As freeing as the age of authenticity may be, our drive for authenticity can become an endless journey that never arrives, and all we're left with is hunger, disappointment, lost opportunities. All we left are is withering on the vine. If we don't attain what we've wanted to do, what then? If we're not happy and passionate like we're supposed to be, what's next? Who are you when none of your self-definition plays out the way that it is supposed to? What's next? What are we supposed to do? Who are we supposed to be? And as usual, you know, I'm wearing these ancient-looking clothes, and we have this cross from 2,000 years ago. We have this 2,000-plus-year-old tradition to bring to bear on these questions. Every time I have a question, or every time I need an answer on something, I open up a book uh, and I say, old Jewish people, please tell me what I should do next. In today's text from the Gospel of John, we have a bit of a different approach to the questions as to who we are, who we're supposed to be as our deepest and authentic selves. 
You see, this text kind of comes at the tail end of what's called Jesus' farewell discourse. Up to this point, the people around Jesus have defined themselves as the followers of this popular upstart rabbi ready to take on the world. He's, everything has only gone up for Jesus since the beginning. But over the next few days, this is all going to be blown apart. Jesus and co. are gathered in the upper room. It's where the Last Supper occurs. And this is a pretty scary, tense, and intense time with Jesus' betrayal, arrest, torture, and execution in view, right up in their faces. This is something that is in Escapable. They don't know what's next. If they're going to be rounded up with him, which some of them will be eventually, they don't know if they're going to spend the rest of their lives on the lamb, escaping the authorities. This is a time of intense anxiety, incredible worry, suffering, and fear for the future. But the question is who are they going to be when Jesus is gone? Who can they be when Jesus is gone? And seeing how Jesus is a first-century Jewish peasant, speaking to other first-century Jewish peasants, he lifts some imagery right from the farm. I am the true vine, Jesus says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Abide in me. As I abide in you, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from the vine, the branches can do nothing. So here Jesus uses this image of God as this cosmic farmer caring for the crop of human creation. Jesus is a good vine, the healthy vine that carries the stuff of life to us, his branches. With this imagery of interconnectedness, Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand how connected to him and how connected to each other they already are by his presence among them. Jesus is the dependable conduit to the living God. When everything about their lives is about to implode, Jesus doesn't give them a new job description. He doesn't link them back with their families. He doesn't even show them memories on Facebook. He reminds them of who they are. He reminds them of who they are in the light of his coming among them. Not an identity imposed on them, by the world in any way. This isn't culture trying to tell them who they are because the culture doesn't like who they are and is going to get rid of who they, the person who told them who they are. It's not an identity they have to create either, but it's one that is a gift, one that is given to them, one that's constant with the ups and downs the joys and even the extremities of human life, one that will endure the stress and the anxieties, the pruning of life, one that will bear fruit no matter the difficult circumstances they may be in. Now notice that Jesus doesn't say, you need to become part of the vine. 
You need to graft yourselves onto the vine. You need to believe yourselves into becoming a part of me. No, it's a reality already. I am the vine. You are the branches. Even when he talks about the branches getting pruned, he makes a point of saying that they've already been pruned or cleansed, as our translation puts it, by the word he was constantly teaching them. They had already been pruned by hearing his gospel, his word of love and mercy and grace. Like branches wrapped tightly around a healthy vine, they are now rooted in the eternity of God. And when every other identity that they've ever had is gone, they are still children of the living God. By his incarnation in Jesus becoming flesh, dying and rising for them, the very life of God has been intertwined with their own forever. And when everything else follows away, they are still bound to God in Christ. There's no escaping who they truly are, who their true authentic self is. As I said, we live in a secular age, an age in which, an age which is also the age of authenticity. And as I said, this is good in so many ways in the freedom it affords to break out of oppressive boxes and one where we are encouraged to forge our own path. At the same time, it's ultimately not enough. As much as we want to do and be whatever we want, we'll never actually make it there. I mean, I am 35 years old, and I have already figured that out. <laughs> the soil of our own cells simply isn't deep enough. We can't create a vine strong enough to sustain us through life's inevitable disappointments. But the good news is that there is always a true and authentic self waiting to be discovered. Not one waiting to be imposed. Not one waiting to be created. But it's one given to us by God in the gift of his son, Jesus, the true vine. Even before we're conceived, to the moment of our lives are pruned by death. Nothing we've got to do or create. It's a given if only we're able to abide, to rest in this fact. Brothers and sisters, they, the disciples of Jesus, we, the disciples of Jesus, you, as a disciple of Christ, you, we, are connected to God, the source of life, to Jesus himself, like a branch is connected to a vine, like a baby who is connected to her mother by the umbilical cord. Just as a mother surrounds her unborn child, so does God surround us. Just as the vine sap surges outwards towards its branches, consistently providing the nutrients for growth and flourishing, 
so God does for us. I am the vine. You are the branches, Jesus says. This is who you are. This is your authentic self, regardless of your job or lack thereof, your success or lack thereof, the discovery of your personal passion or lack thereof. In spite of your very failure to create a true and authentic life, you've already been given one. One that will bear fruit if you let it. When we're freed from the need to create our lives from scratch, we'll find ourselves with more energy and life to share with our neighbors and even our enemies. I am the vine, Jesus says. I am the vine. You are the branches. So settle in. Abide in me, Jesus says. Make your home in me. Remain in me. Draw your life from me. Realize you are surrounded by me. You are swimming in me every single day. This is your truth. Not because of how good or how worthy you are, but because of how good and how worthy God is. I am the vine, Jesus says. And you are the branches. No need to invent this reality because it's already growing in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is who and whose you are. And for this, thanks be to God. Amen. I wash my hands I take my place I bow my head I clean my plate I think and act And talk this way For I was raised In a state of grace well, I always know right where I am From Muscle Shoals down to Birmingham From the rolling hills clear down to Mobile Bay Where I come from is the state of grace Well, I'm up and down let them arrive rich and poor black and white I am not alone I am not ashamed to make my home in a state of grace oh I hear the call Whippoorwill As moonlight falls Over cotton fields And if I should die Before I wake I will lay me down 
in a state of grace Oh, I wash my hands I take my place Bow my head I clean my plate I think and act And I talk this way For I was raised in a state of grace.